podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments will fluctuate, which will cause prices to fall as well as rise, and investors may not get back the original amount they invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information and views expressed should not be taken as a recommendation, advice, or forecast. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Series at the Investment Podcast from NNG. Today, we have David Jackson, one of the most experienced fund managers in the business with over 30 years track record of investing internationally. His focus over the last 15 years or so has been continental Europe. And as such, he has deep knowledge of European markets and the open-ended fund landscape a landscape that has substantially changed since the global financial crisis. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jose. So you're clearly an experienced fund manager with many years of experience. What would you say are the key elements of your investment philosophy that you've developed at this time? Yeah, I suppose I would probably regard it more as an investment style rather than a philosophy. But um, uh, I think it's probably a style which is, in my opinion, appropriate for a core, low-risk, diversified real estate strategy. Um, so it's really focusing very much on investing for the longer term, uh, which you would expect for a, a core strategy, investing over multiple market cycles, uh, with a very key focus, I would say, on income return. Typically, for a, a core real estate strategy, you'd probably expect around two-thirds of the total return to come from, from income. Um, I'd say a pretty clear focus on disciplined risk management, um, a very strong focus on broad diversification, both at a sector level uh, and a regional level. And I would say increasingly now, and this is certainly the case in the last few years, a very strong focus on environmental uh, and strong ESG credentials. Okay. I'm, I now want to focus a little bit on on your past and uh, and sort of the length of your career. So clearly you've been investing um, internationally for quite a few years. So what did prompt MNG to start investing internationally? Yeah, no, you're right, Jose. I guess the the first investments by MNG Prudential in non-domestic real estate were probably made over 30 years ago. Uh, and you're right, I was there at the time. So uh, I do recall those, those early days. Um, and clearly, the main driver at that time, and I think it's still the case, was diversification. So the diversification benefits of investing in, in good quality international real estate, not doing so with significantly enhanced risk, though. I think it's very important to say that when we first put forward recommendations to invest internationally, it was to do so in a very low risk way in core markets, not taking too much risk. Um, and we started with North America. We then proceeded with the more transparent markets in Europe, France and Germany, and then followed with the, the core markets in Asia. So it was very much driven by diversification, but doing so while still uh, having a keen eye on the risk profile. Mm. Okay. And then, so the strategy that you're working on at the moment, uh, in which you've been working for the last 15 years or so, um, so you started and then short after came the global financial crisis, which was very challenging for many property investors. So how was it for you? Yeah, so we launched the strategy for our European uh, core portfolio, uh, as you say, 15 years ago, uh, back in 2006. 
And of course, with the benefit of hindsight, um, given the the global financial crisis followed pretty quickly after that, it wasn't the best time to be to be launching uh, a new strategy. However, clearly we we learned a number of lessons uh, going through the GFC, and I think you know a few of those are really uh, something that we apply now in our uh, in our core strategies. So, going into the crisis in our European strategy, we had low leverage, we had no development, we had pretty low vacancy across our European portfolio, uh, we had zero exposure to some of the more risky emerging markets in, in Central and, and Eastern Europe. Uh, and I think a lot of those kind of resilient foundations we had in place meant that we actually emerged relatively unscathed from the GFC. Like everybody, we took write-downs, and I recall in particular uh, the negative sentiment at the time for office markets in the Netherlands. You know, there were some pretty big challenges there. Um, but actually, we emerged pretty strongly. We had no breaches of loan covenants. We had no uh, interruption to income distributions. So a number of those key sort of uh, risk measures we put in place I think, put us in good stead then. And if you get the question, is the euro going to collapse? <laughs> yeah, so we had the euro crisis, uh, absolutely. Uh, and actually, it was almost the first question in many client presentations at that time. Uh, you know, what is the percentage chance that you are giving of a, a collapse of the euro? How will you value assets? How will you denominate your strategy, given it was EU at the time, the the, the fund? Um you know, and look, I think the I seem to recall we we were saying the worst case would be a maybe a fifteen percent chance of a, an EU collapse. Um, but I think that's the thing that stood out for me in all of that debate was actually again the defensive qualities in that particular turbulent market environment of real assets and of real estate in particular, and of course especially higher quality prime real estate, which again is more defensive and more resilient in those markets of, uh, of uh, significant turbulence. Yeah. And now I'd like to move a little bit to the present right now. So obviously um, the open-ended fund universe has uh, changed substantially uh, from the time you started. Um, how would you describe it now and how would you see its future um, developing? Yeah, no, so you're right, Jose. Um, it has changed a lot over that 15-year period, uh, as you would expect. Um, I suppose the first thing to say would be the scale of the universe. Uh, clearly, it is much bigger. Um, there are a lot more strategies, a lot more funds uh, in the, the European space than there were back then. And I do think scale um, is important because going back to what I was saying earlier on about diversification, if you are investing in a pan-regional strategy, uh, and we're investing here in about 12 different European jurisdictions, it is important to have scale. Um, it is important to uh, be able to incorporate diversification. Um, and I think that size and scale is is really partly a reflection of the increasing appetite over that time for institutionals, for non-domestic international real estate. Uh, and to your point about looking to the future, you know, we see that appetite increasing. We see the uh, allocations to non-domestic real estate continuing to increase uh, as we go forwards. The other key change, Jose, is is really around the the kind of asset mix we now see. So the uh, the allocation of assets within European uh, strategies is different, and probably the most significant difference is the addition of residential 
to the investment, uh, the investment palette, if you like. Hitherto, it was principally commercial, so principally uh, retail, office, and logistics. Uh, but actually, in the last few years, we have seen this strong, uh, if you like, evolution of uh, of residential as an appropriate uh, asset type for um, for a core fund. Uh, and actually, I'm very strongly in favour of that. You know, I think there are very strong long term growth fundamentals in core markets in Europe. Uh, I don't think that's simply restricted to the conventional uh, uh, private rented sector, the apartments, the the direct lets. I think it's also extending to student accommodation, uh, residential opportunities. Uh, I think it's also extending to um, senior housing, residential opportunities. So I think that will continue going forward. And I think actually, if you look at our own objectives, probably looking to allocate maybe up to around 30% over time of the asset mix to the residential sector. Yeah, and indeed, of course, the amount of sectors is increasing. Um, The countries are very, very diverse. So clearly, local presence uh, must be very important to be a successful fund manager in this space, isn't it? Well, I think so. You know, I think it is, you know, to use a bit of a cliche, real estate is a local business. Um, You need good, strong local asset managers, uh, good deal sourcing locally, uh, good relationships, you know, pipeline relationships with with local landowners and local developers to enable um, uh, deployment of capital. So I think it's very important in this uh, in this space to have the depth of resource locally, but also actually some of the more central functions in terms of the key areas of expertise you need, tax and, and deal structuring, for example. These are all areas that require significant uh, platform scale to be able to invest uh, uh, most efficiently. Mm. Yeah, and indeed, the, the, the other point, um, I, I think, about investing internationally and which you are very, very involved in is that sometimes you've got to work with operating partners, particularly in very specialized sector. So what has been your experience in that? What is your view on, on utilizing operating partners or combining operating partners with, um, with, uh, with local offices? Yeah, so I think um, you have to be flexible. So again, I think we can learn lessons from uh, the evolution of the big uh, open-ended core funds in North America, the so-called Odyssey funds that have grown very significantly over time. They have been quite early movers in broadening that asset mix to include residential or, or multifamily, as, as they would they would term it. But they've also been early movers in um, adding to the portfolio mix other so-called alternatives um, within the uh, the real estate space, be that life sciences, be that uh, self-storage, um, or other, if you like, more smaller niche sectors. And I think once you begin to go into those uh, smaller alternative sectors, uh, if they are appropriate for a core strategy, I think very often you need to do so with a good strong operating partner in place. Um, And I think you can work in partnership with an operating partner, uh, not only to have the expertise in those types of of assets, but also actually to have an off-market, if you like, future pipeline of opportunities for deployment and investment of capital. Okay. And um, so um, I said earlier that the market is very diverse, countries are very different, different ways of doing business, and different planning regimes. So which countries have you found it difficult to do business in? 
I guess it's probably fair to say, I mean, it's always difficult to generalize, but it's probably fair to say that the some of the smaller, uh, less transparent markets and some of the markets which are dominated more by local players and local capital are more challenging to, to break into. Uh, I think some of the markets in uh, Central and Eastern Europe are less transparent and, and present uh, quite a few challenges. Um, I mean, maybe if I use an example of um, one of the smaller jurisdictions that we invested in going further west, so Portugal, uh, this was a few years ago now, um, quite a small jurisdiction. But actually, what we did in that particular case to mitigate some of those uh, some of those challenges was actually to very much focus on high quality defensive assets. Now, we bought a portfolio in Portugal, which was um, food stores, grocery anchored retail, so supermarkets, um, with 20 year income streams. So 20 year fixed leases. Uh, led to uh, the country's biggest food operator, so a reasonably good quality credit, and with annual uh, indexation in the leases, so annual RPI uh, increases in the rents. Uh, and for us, that was quite a good way to enter a, a slightly smaller, less transparent market to do so in a defensive way. And actually, those assets have performed very well for us. Yeah, it sounds to me like a very good philosophy. If you go to a country where it's harder to do business, go as defensive as possible. Sounds sounds perfectly reasonable to me. So um, just to conclude and um, being conscious of time. Um, so the last 15 years in the strategy that you're working on at the moment, what would there be your key three takeaways from that period of your career? I suppose if I were to try and summarize some of the key takeaways, and we've talked about a couple already, we've talked about the importance of size and scale uh, with uh, pan-regional funds. We've talked about the evolution of the asset mix, and in particular, the evolution of allocations to to residential and alternatives. Um, And we have just touched upon ESG, and I think it would be uh, would be worth just reinforcing that point because, you know, the landscape has changed, as everybody knows, dramatically in recent years in relation to environmental considerations. Uh, and for me, it's not just looking at um, uh, existing assets; it's integrating that sort of uh, analysis and that uh, approach to ESG at the buy, hold, and sell stages in the evolution of assets. So screening at the outset. Uh, enhancing uh, the certification of assets during asset management and actually taking into account as a key consideration when you come to sell the environmental credentials uh, of individual assets and, for example, how expensive it might be to upgrade properties to attain an appropriate uh, environmental standard. In fact, we've just sold a couple of buildings in Germany where actually we think uh, the market is um, not properly factoring in the real cost of upgrading to achieve long-term sustainable uh, ESG credentials. Um, I guess if I may add uh, a couple of other themes that I, I think are also you important. You may. Um, which uh, I think are more around the uh, the depth of resource, the depth of team uh, and platform that are needed for a, uh, if you like, a diversified uh, pan-regional uh, strategy. Uh, And this is probably more so in real estate perhaps than some other asset classes or asset types, but you really do need um, 
the good local asset managers, property managers, uh, transaction professionals, uh, tax professionals, uh, a whole range of uh, of, of support uh, alongside the fund manager to be able to execute um, a strategy successfully uh, on a broad pan-European basis. And for me, that's a very important takeaway. It's not something you can do with a very small team. You need really that strength and depth and that multi-asset team. So in a way, ESG people and scale are, you know, three key takeaways um, from your career, which sound very reasonable to me. And with that, David, thank you very much for your time. And everyone listening, have a very good day. Thank you, Jose. This podcast is for investment professionals only. For further information, please view the notes which accompany this episode.